Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end-user experience issues, regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. And also by Liquidware, creators of FlexApp, the most feature-rich application learning product on the market. And brought to you by PolicyPack Software, where you can use group policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lock down applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. Let's get into some news. This week, Microsoft has warned the upcoming release of Google Chrome version 80, which is due on February 4th, could cause problems with certain sites and services. This is due to a change in how the browser will handle cookies. They state that although the change was intended to discourage malicious cookie tracing, it is also expected to severely affect many applications and services that are based on open standards, including Microsoft's cloud services. They state that during their testing of the change, Microsoft's products and services were severely affected by the change in behavior, and they are working to remedy all the scenarios by and they're working to remedy all tested scenarios by the release date of the affected Chrome browser stable build, which will be again February 4th, 2020. What they noticed in their testing was the performance of all Microsoft services was significantly decreased. Signing into important sites such as the Azure portal failed and generated an error. Signing into Microsoft Power BI enters a loop and eventually generates an error. Dynamics 365 signout fails. Dynamics integration with Skype, Power Apps, and Excel fails. In Office 365, notifications about email messages in the Office suite do not work. In Microsoft Teams, tabbed access to other Office services such as Stream within the Teams client does not work. Sign-out messages from certain sites indicate a successful sign-out. However, the cookie clearing process fails, and this keeps the user signed in. Also, signing in and signing out fails on many customer-developed websites that use versions of Microsoft.NET Framework and .NET Core to process authentication tokens. Signing into and signing out from Active Directory Federation services when it is acting as a federated partner to another identity provider is affected, and more. For a full list, I'll share a link to this article with this episode, which is episode 106 on 5bytespodcast.com. You'll find it under reference links. But Google has released the following enterprise controls, too, that can be set to disable the same site enforcement behavior within Chrome. And those settings are all one word, obviously. Legacy same site cookie behavior enabled, and also legacy same site cookie behavior enabled for domain list. Enterprise customers who find that most of their apps are affected are encouraged to disable the same site behavior in computers they govern by using group policy, SCCM, or Microsoft Intune until they have finished testing and verified that the new behavior does not break essential scenarios in their apps. So obviously it's a Microsoft article, so they're going to go through what they saw on their own products, but it doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be limited to that. So if you use Google Chrome and maybe you have an evergreen script to always keep your 
endpoints up to date with the latest version. May want to hold off on version 80 or at least plan to have the enterprise control set to disable same site enforcement behavior. There's a chance it will break other third party sites too. In one of the strangest tech stories I've seen for some time, Roy Vanren shared a video on Twitter showing that anytime he or his colleagues got up from or sat down on an office chair in their office, it turned off their monitors. So you think at first when you're watching the video, uh, it's a trick and it couldn't really be the chair. But as he points out, there's actually a KB article on the issue from DisplayLink, the manufacturers of the monitors, who says, quote, Surprisingly, we've seen an issue connected to gas lift office chairs. When people stand or sit on gas lift chairs, they can generate an EMI spike, which is picked up on the video cables, causing a loss of sync. If you have users complaining about displays randomly flickering, it could actually be connected to people sitting on gas lift chairs. The fix for this is swapping out the video cables, especially for ones with magnetic ferrite ring on the cable, which can eliminate the problem. I'll share a link to the video with this episode again, which is episode 106 on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links. The new year started on a very somber note for Travelex, who on New Year's Eve were the victims of malware. Some in the InfoSec community are suggesting the attack was through the Pulse VPN vulnerability that I covered on the podcast way back on episode 87. This also led to a pretty interesting discussion with someone who patched the vulnerability in his environment, talking about the difficulty getting it patched. It took him over two months. And it wasn't due to a technical difficulty with the patch, but rather just getting the correct parties engaged to get the change completed. And this is a common thread in enterprise IT, unfortunately. And when there's MSPs or there's consulting companies or these independent consultants or even vendors who are like, why don't you just deploy the patch? It's usually not that straightforward in a a large enterprise organization, unfortunately. For their part, TravelX have stated that their investigation to date shows no indication that any personal or customer data has been compromised and they have pulled their services offline to limit any impact. Some third-party financial services who rely on TravelX, like Tesco and I believe Virgin in the UK, have reported some unavailable services due to unforeseen IT issues. TravelX is pretty prominent in airports too, and even in some large established banks. ZDNet reports customers must visit in-branch to order or collect their currency until this issue has been resolved. And sticking with ZDNet and a security-related story, this week ZDNet reported on a story about a company who was attacked with ransomware just before the holidays. They ended up paying the ransom in order to obtain the decryption key, but unfortunately, the decryption key didn't work. And while it's not admitted to publicly yet, it sounds to me like they may not have had backups or at least are unable to recover from backups as they put their 300 employees on notice before Christmas, telling them to call back on January 2nd for an update. And then when employees called on January 2nd, they're greeted with a recorded message stating, quote, Though we have made progress, 
there is still much work to be done. With that in mind, we do not prevent you from searching for other employment. Please take care of yourselves, your loved ones, and have a happy new year. End quote. ZDNet also mentioned that this isn't the first instance of a company seizing operations after a ransomware attack. In April 2019, doctors at a medical practice office in Michigan decided to shut down their business and retire one year ahead of schedule rather than deal with the ransom. Similarly, a second medical office based in Simi Valley, California, reached the same conclusion in September 2019, deciding to shut down all operations after they were infected with ransomware a month before and lacked the funds to pay the ransom. Pretty terrifying stuff. ThreatPost.com have posted about Cisco patches for three critical Cisco Nexus bugs. The bugs could allow an unauthenticated remote attacker to bypass endpoint authentication and execute arbitrary actions with administrative privileges on targeted devices. CVE-2019-15975 and 15976 and 15977 impact the Cisco Data Center Network Manager, a platform managing its data centers running Cisco's NXOS, which is an operating system used by Cisco's Nexus series Ethernet switches and MDS series fiber channel storage area network switches. Each of the three bugs received a common vulnerability scoring system score of 9.8 in severity, so very severe. Cisco has released software updates patching the vulnerabilities. The company added there are no workarounds to fix the problems, so just patch. BleepingComputer.com have reported that attackers are now scanning for vulnerable Citrix ADCs. If you listen to the podcast regularly, this is actually the fourth episode in a row that I've mentioned this vulnerability. If you happen to be a ControlUp customer, you can use an SBA for patching the vulnerability and also an SBA for validating the patch. And no matter what, you need to patch this urgently. This vulnerability is a completely open door as an attacker doesn't even need to gain access to an existing account. No account is required to launch an attack. So it's very serious. Patch, patch, patch. If you're a Citrix Cloud customer, you likely received an email this week notifying you of a Citrix WEM upgrade that includes a pretty cool feature. It brings the awesomeness of the Citrix Optimizer, which many of us use in our Citrix VDAs already, into the WEM console. As WEM supports both virtual and physical machines, you can run this on your physical and virtual machines. And obviously the Citrix Optimizer does support desktop and server optimizations too. So you will get value on all of your endpoints with the Citrix Optimizer feature in WEM. At CES 2020, which is pretty much all consumer product focused, Intel announced their Ghost Canyon device, which is officially called the NUC or NUC 9 Extreme. NUCs are, of course, very popular with enthusiasts for their home labs. Engadget reports it's going to be bigger, which may be a downside for those of us with limited space for a lab, but the size increase will allow it to pack in more power. This new model won't just be CPU driven, it can hold a desktop GPU up to 8 inches long, which means you can plug in an NVIDIA RTX 
2070 card for some serious gaming, and it will also ship with the 10th generation Intel CPU chips, which are reported to break 5 gigahertz in speed. So this machine should be screaming. It would be great for a home lab and sounds like it would be pretty good for a gaming PC too. Our application delivery expert friends at Numescent tweeted the countdown this week. We are now less than a week away from Windows 7 end of life. I hope everyone is at least part of the way there to getting Windows 10 rolled out. While Windows 7 goes end of life on January 14th, it is not the only Microsoft product that's going end of life in 2020. Bleepingcomputer.com provided a list of the Microsoft products going end of life are going into extended support this year. And that includes the likes of Office 2010 for Windows, Office 2016 for Mac, Internet Explorer 10, Visual Studio 2010, Windows 10, 1709, 1803, 1809, and 1903 will all go end of life. And there's even more in the list that I haven't mentioned. And obviously, that's at various points of 2020, with Windows 10, 1903 being later in the year for obvious reasons. It's still pretty new. Office 2016 for Windows will be entering extended support, as will Visual Studio 2015, SharePoint Server and Exchange Server 2010, Windows Defender Antivirus, and Windows Defender Exploit Guard. Windows 10 2015 LTSB All Editions will also be going into extended support this year. And to wrap up the news for this week, a group of EUC community rock stars have launched the first episode of their brand new podcast. It's called the EUC Digest. Episode 1 promises to introduce you to the team, the podcast, and some of their plans for going forward in the podcast. It will be a show fully focused on end-user computing, and it will be vendor agnostic and 100% community driven. If you like this podcast, odds are you're going to enjoy that podcast too. So you can look them up, EUC Digest. And now some scripts, tricks, and tips. The official PowerPoint Twitter account shared a quick, simple tutorial on how you can create morphing animations within PowerPoint. So if you don't know what that is, and maybe you were familiar with Flash in the past, in Flash I believe they called it tweening. It's when you maybe have something like a rectangle on one side of the slide, and then you're able to animate it so it morphs into like a circle on the other side of the slide. It's a pretty cool effect. I have to say it's not something I ever considered doing in a presentation, but it is pretty cool and simple based off the tutorial, so it might be worth incorporating in future. And on a podcast, when I mentioned some EUC community rock stars, well, James Kinden, James Rankin, Gareth Carson, and Nigel Woods all collaborated together on a blog post that's on jkinden.com. They all work together on an excellent guide for troubleshooting search index with FSLogix and considerations for how you should handle search indexing with FSLogix. This is a pretty lengthy post, but if you're just getting started on your FSLogix profile containers journey, it's worth reading. If for nothing else, to ensure you have the recommended dependencies in place before you try it for yourself to ensure you have the greatest chance of success, but also obviously for helping you troubleshoot when maybe you hit some snags in your environment. Mike Galvin at Gal, 
gal.vin, shared a pretty interesting runbook of steps for setting up Microsoft Deployment Toolkit and getting started with your Windows images for those who maybe don't have the capacity or desire to set up their own domain and maybe don't have enterprise licensing. I've never done this before and never considered it, but it seems like the perfect stepping stone for those getting started with a small home lab. SystemDeploy.com featured a blog post that goes through installing RSAT features using a combination of PowerShell and an XML file, which dictates what should be enabled and what should be left disabled. The post also includes a guide for using this to deploy via SCCM. So on last week's podcast, I mentioned that I was thinking about changing the format for this week, and I did slightly. So I didn't have a weekly webinar, and the reason for that was kind of like the hot jobs for the first year of the podcast. My field of vision is kind of limited to my area of work. So yeah, I get sent a lot of webinars each week that I could share, but the majority of them are going to be in like the virtualization and end user computing space. So it can get a little bit repetitive. So I think how I'm going to handle that segment going forward is just like the hot jobs in the last year, if I see something particularly interesting, or maybe one of you guys who listens has something that you'd like me to promote, a webinar that's coming up, or hey, again, I've said it before, but if you're struggling to find someone for a position on your team and you want some help promoting that open position, just reach out to me and I'd be happy to feature it on the podcast. I mean, I don't have a huge audience here, but for the last few months, I've been getting over a thousand listens. And it seems like it's pretty widely shared in the community. So you never know what might happen. I had one person, at least last year, who said that when I featured a job that they had listed on this podcast, they did see an increase in applications and said a couple mentioned hearing about it on this podcast. So it can be effective if you want to use it. But for the weekly webinars specifically, I'm thinking... Some of the more interesting ones that I featured last year had nothing to do with my area of expertise or work. Like I found a webinar on mindfulness. And I think that could apply to just anyone who's dealing with trying to juggle a difficult work-life balance. So if I see things like that, I'll definitely feature it in like a weekly webinar. Or again, if you have something that you'd like me to promote for you, just reach out and I'll be happy to. Something I wanted to do last year that I didn't get to do was leverage the the video page, the YouTube channel for this podcast, and maybe just have some non-tech topics and maybe some long-form tech topics in video format on YouTube. So that's something I think I'm going to entertain again this year. I just didn't have the time last year. And in the short term, I'm going to change maybe some of the cosmetics with the show, like how I label the episodes on certain platforms. I'd like to look at maybe changing the layout of the episode guide that's on 5bytespodcast.com because it doesn't fit very well on a mobile device and little things like that. And with that, that's the end of another episode. Thank you all so much for listening.